Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. Today I'm joined by Mark Samowitz. Mark, I'm delighted to have you on Life Beyond the Numbers. It's fantastic to be here and great to see you again, Susan. It's great to see you too, Mark. <laughs> so Mark, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, that's that's an easy one. I wanted to be a singer, entertainer. My parents used to say that uh, all I used to do was just stand in my cot and, uh, and sing nursery rhymes to ever wanted to listen or not even <laughs> or not <laughs> or not i even started singing lessons believe it or not at age four wow yeah with a very famous teacher by the name of eve boswell who uh, i was told sang for the queen once upon a time i was her youngest pupil at age four wow so we were at school plays all the way then and School plays, the lead in every school play. That was, yeah, that was my childhood. <laughs> and when time came to head to university, what did you study? That's an interesting question. When I finished high school, which was in Johannesburg, South Africa, in 1996, apartheid had ended in 1994, and uh, the big, you know, no one, you know, really knew what was going to be in South Africa. What the was going to be and the big big thing that parents were telling their children at the time was study something transportable right and probably my first choice was actually uh well my first choice was really music but uh, i was uh, discouraged by my parents and the way how i'd make a living and especially how even south africa was at the time so they said ah maybe think to, to, to something else and you could supplement with private piano lessons and singing lessons and so my next choice was actually law, mm-hmm. and uh, but but again, being that uh, that wasn't so transportable, I was encouraged to do actuarial science, and oh. that's what I studied Ooh. to become an actuary. Okay. And then at the end of first year university, I did some vacation work at a at a large large actuarial consultancy. I knew I think after the first week that I didn't want to become an actuary. <laughs> that was then, probably a good work experience then. then I switched to accounting. And uh, and it, it's really funny. I kind of never really wanted to become an accountant, but it was kind of one of those things where I landed up in second-year accounting. And then I thought, oh, I might as well do third-year accounting. Oh, I might as well do honours accounting. Oh, might as well do my articles, as they called it at the time, and mm-hmm. years articles of auditing. Before I knew it, I was a chartered accountant. It was definitely not because it was kind of something that I chose or I was necessarily passionate about. 
Wow, it's a long way to go <laughs> for something that you don't choose. It's not like it's easy. Um, it, it, it's, it, was, it was far less taxing. You know, everything in, in life, you're comparing it to something. And, and I mentioned that first year of, of, of uh, actuarial studies. That was hard. That really squeezed the life out of me because I was working day and night, you know, statistics, maths, it's, it's extremely involved. And then comparatively, accounting was like a holiday. <laughs> I wasn't in, in the library at nights. So I was out with friends. I was like, so, so everything's comparative, you know. So True. comparatively, it was a walk in the park. So, yes, it wasn't easy. But compared to where I, where, where I had been studying, it, it was and- a walk in the park. And what about the the professional austere that we accountants put on? Did that clash any in any way with you as the entertainer? So absolutely. During my articles at Grant Thornton, I'd read many run-ins with partners and with HR who I guess it 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 didn't really sit well with how I was meant to be representing myself and presenting myself as an accountant you know and um it really came to a head where i used to love giving concerts at clients and and at the end of the audit as a as a little first year trainee uh auditor i used to offer the client a a concert you know do you want to bring your do you want to bring your staff into the boardroom on the last day of the audit and I'll bring my keyboard and my sound system, I'll set up and I'll give you guys a concert. And obviously the client loved this idea. Cool, the auditor's gonna give us a concert, that's fantastic. But the company I worked for didn't see it the same way and didn't appreciate the fact that I I wanted to sing at work, even though I was doing fantastic things for client relations and, uh, you know, seeing the auditor as being human and being a person who could also have other things other than audit. But, uh, yeah, my my accounting firm didn't see this. They put put a stop to that and uh, said, talk less about your love for music. And uh, I happened to mention to a manager that my real passion was music and singing and performing and uh, it affected my, my performance review terribly and the manager wrote on my performance review mark needs to 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 really get clarity on what's more important to him his music or his accounting and um and, and because of that i was rated very badly on that audit and i got a drop in salary and etc so i just started being silent about the the music thing for the rest of my auditing career it's really interesting. I've had another guest on, Mark, who actually worked as an actuary and mm-hmm. she had something similar. She was a singer and she, her performance review, they told her to stop singing at work. And she said it slowly just chipped away at her 100%. until she broke free. It's crazy, isn't it? 100%. How we compromise ourselves. For the, 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 you mentioned that break free thing. That's exactly kind of what I did. The second I finished articles and the second I walked through that door and I was a qualified chartered accountant, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And that was to go to the bright lights of New York City to sing. Fantastic. And, and I, like, oh I, like, like, I like broke free. Like it was like, you know, just like the shackles of being in an office doing numbers just kind of, you know, it, it, it gave me clarity. And, and, and that was what I did. Wow. Suitcase. 
Uh, when I came out of articles, I went to Australia like most <laughs> accountants in Ireland did at the time. And I worked in accounting. <laughs> but you went to New York to be an entertainer. Tell us. Like you say, it was just part of my breaking free. It was actually part of my recovery process, I guess, because when you are a creative person and you are doing numbers and spreadsheets all day, every day, it's a struggle. Like you're struggling inside yourself. So that was just my break free moment. And um, I went to the States and I just was, was trying to get, get, get gigs, get uh, for Again, like that, like that two-year-old in the cot singing for, for whomever would listen, um, and and hopefully they would pay me too. And uh, so yeah, over three and a half years, I was very privileged. Got gigs in seventeen different states. Wow! Uh, performing all over America, collaborating with different artists, and, and getting involved in schools and educational music, and synagogue music, and performing in like really concert halls in so many different genres and for kind of whoever would listen and whoever would hopefully pay me a little to, to be able to, to exist and live uh, in, 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 in the Big Apple. It must have been a fantastic experience then. It was amazing. It was. I learned some incredible life skills over, over that time. Uh, one of the big skills I learned was, was the art of selling because where did I ever have to sell before? But you know, people wanted to, to see a demo of my concert. They wanted to see uh, they wanted to see who I was and what I could offer their organization or this or this synagogue or whoever I was performing for. And so definitely that was one of the life lessons I learned there, along with with, with many, many others. <laughs> I lived out of a suitcase and I just, you know, it was it was a very interesting time. I can imagine. It sounds <laughs> it. I'm sure there'll be a book someday, Mark. Oh, maybe one. When I find time, if I find time, yeah. you know. So. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about now. Your business, it's called Accounting Made Easy. And right. isn't that an oxymoron? Some might say, but they obviously haven't seen the way that we talk that we teach it. And um, so the way we teach it is we really do make it easy. And the methodology and approach that we use, this unique, really incredible, gamified, interactive, discovery learning methodology and approach to teach accounting makes it easy. So yes, it would be an oxymoron if you didn't know what we did and how we did it. But once you see what we do and how we do it, it's not an oxymoron. It, it is very visual what you do. So it's, it's a bit more difficult to talk about it here. But perhaps how do you make people's lives easier? So we spoke a lot about music and singing and entertaining. And what I do now, I would say, is a direct combination of my entertainment background and my passion for entertainment and for people experiencing something. Because what, what happens when you go see a play or a musical or it leaves an imprint on you? Right. You've seen it, you've experienced it, you've seen the visual, um, you've, it's told you a story and something you can retell to other people because, like I said, it's, it's left an indelible imprint on you. And I've tried to take my background in entertainment and match it with my accounting knowledge to create the company that I've created. It's a direct combination. And people say, ah, oh, how does the one you know link to the other? Isn't it in direct contrast? No, it's actually 
that's what has made accounting made easy, accounting made easy. But I've taken the, the, the elements of entertainment that make entertainment memorable, combined with accounting knowledge. And so the big premise in, and, and I know we can't see the visuals, and I'd love it if we'd be, you know, be able to show it. So any you know people listening to this podcast that you want to see a demo, like feel free to reach out and, and, and I can show you that or send you to a YouTube link that, that, that has that. But we basically break uh, accounting into this visual experience. So instead of learning it from a textbook and instead of learning it in a lecture-based rote learning way, like we, we made, like we did, like we did, like you, like I'm sure you did at university, like I'm sure, you know, like I did, like every other accountant out there, we've turned accounting into a visual learning experience so that, you know, when you're representing a journal entry, it's not a flat journal entry, it's a 3D journal entry because you're dragging amounts into accounts that you've created on game boards and you, you're creating accounts, you're naming accounts, you're dragging amounts into those accounts and you have the ability to play. And the beautiful thing is when you have the ability to play, you have the ability to get things wrong, right? which we never had the ability to do, right? When we were learning accounting, it was either right or wrong, you either got a tick or you, or you got a cross. Right? There were big consequences to getting things wrong. Massive. Right. Agreed. Right. Two grades. Because you lost grades and your balance sheet put balance and income statement. Blah, blah, and you're like, oh, I can't get anything wrong. That journal entry has to be perfect. With us, we use obviously um, breakout rooms to let people first play with the financial transaction, play with it. And if you get it wrong, it's okay because you're just going to open a new account and drag that amount to your account and delete the other account you created. The consequences of getting things wrong are very are, are small, are minuscule. You can fix it in a second. So, so that just drops people's guard and drops the fear of, of the subject because they see I can fix it just by dragging that over there in one second. I'll fix it. And Mark, you started out doing live face-to-face -face training, but you've migrated now online. Yes. So that was something that I didn't even believe was possible, right? And because we would go, we'd give a one-day workshop and promise people that we would teach them finance and accounting in a day. That was the promise, that you have zero background and you are going to leave with the ability to understand a balance sheet, income statement, and cash flow statement, understand debits and credits, journal entries, general ledgers, how to read, understand, interpret, analyze financial statements all in a day. Now, that is like a year of university accounting, <laughs> essentially. And we were doing that exclusively using these game boards, these physical game boards and physical game pieces that we were giving people in a physical workshop. And I really couldn't see a way how we could do that online. And I guess that was the COVID push, okay? that when face-to-face -face training became a relic, just like the dinosaur overnight, and face-to-face -face training came to a complete stop, I invested a lot of money with developers to say, take our physical game that we've been giving each person in a workshop and convert this to a digital game so we can carry on doing what we do in the magical way that we do it 
in a remote virtual session over Zoom or over Teams. And uh, I was just blessed to find amazing, amazing developers who just saw the vision and created something that was even beyond my expectation of, of what I thought could be done. And now that we're doing it virtually and remotely, like I look at this, I think, why didn't we do this always? It is so much better. People don't have to travel. People, I mean, we, we're training teams who are all at home, you know, and they're coming on our finance training. We're training teams, forget about who are all at home. We're training teams who are all in different countries and they're coming on our virtual sessions. And to think that we're achieving the same thing. Whereas before, in order to achieve that, everybody would have had to travel there, take the full day off work. We would have these things printed and the games, and everyone gets the logistics and the time commitment and the and to think of the, the like the ease of with which we're doing it now. Um, sorry, that was a very long answer to a very short question, but I'm very excited about it because it just blows tell. my mind. But it no, blows but my mind. It, no, but it captures it well as well. And and I, I, I just digress because I wanted people to understand that it was available online. But I'd like to just go back to fear because I think a lot of people are afraid of numbers. They're afraid of their accountant. They're afraid of the finance department. Everybody's afraid to go near them. So how does this course address those fears? So not only do people have fear, they are completely intimidated by finance. Wow. Right? They're completely, completely intimidated. I, I, there's so many synonyms I can think of. They are t intimidated, they are threatened, they are scared, and they have fear. So you combine all those things, right? People are coming in way on the back foot. Like I had a guy come on one of our courses. He said, I've been on seven finance for non-financial managers courses. I'm desperate to understand this stuff. And this is the eighth course I'm coming on. And, and I just hope finally it makes sense to me because I had even more fear after going on these other seven because it just went over my head. And am I stupid because I have a university degree, but I just don't get this stuff. I can talk about that fear thing all day long. I call it the nod and smile. You know, do you, do you know how many people, and you probably know this as a you know, financial director, you speak to people and you say, hey, Kathy, can you just come over here? We haven't accrued for this. If we don't accrue for this, it's, it's up, up here now is going to be out. And, and we also haven't provided for that. And um, and so you need to go past these in the GL so that we can, we can you know, fairly reflect our, our profit for the period. Now, the finance person, for them, they've just said like a standard sentence. You know, yes, like I that, know. You know? Yeah. But Every single one of those words that we used, accrue, provide, GL, pass this. We as accountants, we understand those are verbs, but those verbs have a double-sided meaning. We understand the debit and credit associated with each one of those verbs. Why? Because we spent years learning it. To the non-finance person, they're going to do the nod and smile. They're going to go, yeah, 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 big smile, leave the room, what the beep did that person just say? And they're going to start Googling and they're going to provide for, accrue for. Uh, they, they're not, so accountants don't even realize the amount of words they use that scare people who are non-accountants, who are non-finance people. So how do we remove that fear? 
we tell people there are no stupid questions. And we're going to build up the language from scratch, assuming you know zero about finance and accounting. That is our starting point. And we build up the language through a business simulation. And as we run this business and we go through all the different things that happen in a business, we get loans, we get investments from shareholders, we buy things on credit. So we have accounts receivable and we have accounts payable and we're prepared expenses and we have deferred income, we accrue for things, we have depreciators, we make payments, we receive payments, we have cost of sales, we have direct expenses, we have operating expenses. People start to build up the language and start to see it as a puzzle. And they start to see how all the pieces of the puzzle connect and i bring it back to that you're sitting in a play because they've experienced it it's now part of them they've discovered it they've experienced it it's part of them the language is no longer daunting they acquire the language on our course they acquire the language of finance and accounting by osmosis really because it's osmosis yeah, because they're through actually play. playing. Yeah. Through play. And I'd go even one step further. They even have fun too. <laughs> go away now. <laughs> finance, finance, and fun. You wouldn't, you wouldn't normally put those two words together. but oh, I've always done it. Say, <laughs> <laughs> I used to always say, I'm going to put the fun back in finance for you. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> it's got to be. It's got to be. Why are we doing it if it's not fun? I did it for three years and it wasn't fun. So now I do it in a way that it is fun. And now my relationship with finance and accounting is in a way that's palatable for me and much more than palatable in a way that's, that's exciting. Yeah, I can tell. I mean, it, it's <laughs> obvious. It really is. But so, Mark, if you go to a company, are the finance people happy that someone is coming to show non-finance people how to do finance or do they believe it's something they can do themselves? I mean, how does it sit with finance people? You get both types. You get you, you know you get the, the type that believes they can do it themselves, and those are the type that land us calling land up calling us in six months later <laughs> when they realise that dumbing down finance and accounting is a skill. It is okay. Yeah. And even people who think they've got it down, they still don't realise where non-finance people are at and how scared they are and. And so even if you can successfully dumb it down, the vision and the game that we put in place, it does it all for you. And so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And just adding the visual and letting people see it as a puzzle. So how do they feel? People are incredibly grateful. They're incredibly grateful. Why? Because we've empowered conversations. We've empowered people to be on the same page. And that's what people want at the end of the day. Finance don't want operations managers, sales managers calling them saying, I don't understand this on my PL. Why is that number over there? You've put a number for shared services on my PL. I didn't spend that. Why is that number and expenses on my PL? I didn't spend that. The whole thought of that PL being money I got in and money I spent. You know, people not realizing that PL, you have to have an in-depth understanding of accrual accounting to understand a PL understand half the amounts of the PL never went out of the bank account. But unless you actually can see that and can visualize that and can make sense of that, you're going to be calling finance all day long saying, I don't understand. So finance departments and financial directors that we meet with and CFOs, they are, they are only too happy. They say, if you can lift the financial level, financial literacy of our operations managers, our sales managers, our branch managers, our divisional managers, our supervisors, whatever it might be, 
like please please begging you because this will this will just help us it will help people make better decisions on their numbers and it will remove the frustration that we have in trying to tell people no you can't do this and they can't see why and they can't that's where we come in we mm -hmm. we, we essentially we make that possible <laughs> yeah well you're you're taking the fear out you're putting the fun in and i like that i'm gonna use that let me write that down <laughs> Taking the fear out. Putting, okay, I'm going to write this. That's kind of my <laughs> because way. that's what I used to say when I did training for people. I'm going to take the fear out of the finance and put the fun in. But but I, I wasn't you, anywhere can near I, can you. I, can, I, can I have permission to use that? You season? can absolutely. I'm not precious about it at all. But it's beautiful. But I think they're two like polar opposites almost. And it, it makes it kind of, oh, I can relax into that now. You're going to take away fear right. and you're going to give me some fun. But I suppose the question that finally that I have on that is, does it matter the size of business, Mark? Can this work for a small business with maybe a couple of employees or a PLC? You know, what kind of range of people is this? Susan, not only can, can, does it not matter the size of business, this is something that can go across geographical location, across business size, small, big, entrepreneur, because if, if a company's got two or three people they want to put on a course, so they'll join one of our, our public sessions, you know, that, that where other companies also have two or three. We don't like taking more than 15 on virtual training because we want to give everybody that personal attention. And we find more than 15 in, in a virtual training, we can't give that. Within a PLC, within a, a big company, you know, we can train hundreds of groups of 15, you know, if, if uh, that's what we need. Or thousands of groups of 15. We have a team of 12 chartered accountants who um, are all accountants with personalities who love empowering people, right? And and so, so yes, we're able to roll out for big companies, small companies, um, even in different languages, different geographical locations, that's the power and the scale and the scalability of, of a virtual a virtual training business. Brilliant. So you're smashing stereotypes as well, Mark. Trying, trying yes. each day, trying. trying. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I heard just two things come to mind. Firstly, you, you know, you mentioned, and who is this for within a corporation? I had a meeting with a financial director of a company, massive company. And I couldn't believe his response after my, my demo, my product demo to him. He said, you know, we've got 20 subsidiaries. I want to put every single CEO and MD of my 20 subsidiaries on the course. I was like, seriously? And he said, yes, I, I'm the financial director. I have daily conversations with these people. And I know the holes in their knowledge. And he said, this course would plug those holes. And uh, I couldn't believe it. We, we ran. We ran for 40 people. The, 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 every single company had a CEO and an MD. And he put those 40 people on our course. And they really, really appreciated it. They said, wow. We had no idea the areas where we were kind of faking it and, 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 and really using words that weren't correct, you know, in place of words that we thought were correct. And simple things, Susan, like people use the word income in companies. Now, as accountants, we know what the word income means. But if, would you believe it, and I have the stats on this, so I could say this backed up with stats because of our pre-assessments that we do for companies, that 95% of people believe that income is money. Mm -hmm. 
And the income that you have earned in your company is the money that you received that month. And we have it as a question now pre-assessment. You know, income is, you know, the money you received this month, the value of service we invoiced for and delivered this month, etc., uh, etc. Et and people select the amount of money that that is income. We know that is not income, right? That income is the value of service rendered and invoiced in a particular month. But as accountants, we use the word income without even giving a second thought that a non-accountant or non-finance person would know what we're talking about. And when people come in our course and they find out that, whoa, income isn't money? And I'm taking one tiny example. They find that they have these revelations for maybe 50 or 100 words to go like, that really means that? I've been using that word in a completely different context my whole business career. No wonder I haven't been able to understand when the finance director or the financial manager talks about the kennel. But it's also why businesses fail, Mark, because right. people don't understand cash and cash flow and the difference between cash and income. Right. hundred percent. Look, I, I, I have a three pronged course outcome. I want people to spend time with us and be able to do three things by the time they leave. Thing number one that I want them to do, I want them to be able to look at financial statements, look at your PL, look at your balance sheet, look at your cash flow statement, and understand the story that it is telling you. Okay, because it's telling you a story. Understand the story. That is outcome number one that we aim that each person attending our course leaves. Outcome number two is that now that you understand the story, you can make decisions on that story. You can make better financial decisions on that story. You can, you can see where you need to pivot, what needs fixing, what needs changing. You know, you might need to get rid of a division. You might, but, but if you can't tell the story, you can't interpret the story. So step one is tell the story. Step two is interpret the story. What is uh, the third outcome? That third outcome is now you can have better financial conversations. So when you're in a room or you're in a meeting and people are talking about that, we need to, we haven't accrued for that, we haven't provided for that, we need to write that off and that needs to be uh, re-evaluated and we need to take that to equity and we need to pair that asset. And again, it's language. And if you don't understand the language and the financial impacts of the words being used in that language, they're completely in the dark, right? No wonder people are dead scared and have this fear. So we want to remove the fear of the language and empower people to speak finance confidently. I call it, you know, financial fluency or financial mm -hmm. confidence, mm -hmm. right? Financial literacy, financial fluency, financial confidence, whatever you want to call it, we want to empower people to, to have those conversations and be on the same page as their finance colleagues so that the business can go somewhere because now you've got everyone on the same page going after the same goals. Mm. I wonder if this is something that boards could also use. No question. And we do it. We do it for a lot of company executives, right? Where the CEO and, and the financial director might have this stuff down, but the sales director and the marketing director and the operations director and the HR director don't necessarily yeah. have it down. Because no and one's what ever happens, helped them. Exactly. And what happens in board meetings is that when the conversation turns financial, 
those people shut down because they can't participate because they don't have the language. Or they become defensive and you go around in circles trying to actually reach a decision because people don't know what's going on and they don't want to admit it. Right, right. Yeah. One other thing that I wanted to yeah. mention to you, and I think this is this is just such a relevant thing. So many finance and accounting courses are generic. Yes. Right. I'm going to teach you finance and account. I'm going to come in with this generic course. But what is the application to me in my business with the PLs I see every day, with the reports that I see every day, with the ratios that I see every day? I still need someone to hold my hand and help me interpret those things. And so we don't leave people. We, we take them to the finish line. And I think this has really been, uh, aside from our approach and our methodology, which is extremely unique, and we've, we've spoken about that, I think the, the thing that makes us different from everybody out there is that we will get our hands dirty with your numbers, you know, with, with the companies, with their P&Ls, with their ratios, and take, take their staff to the finish line of understanding the financial reports that they see every day on a daily basis. Because that is where the real behavioral change comes in. Right? If I've lectured, you know, if we've given some generic finance course and you're still sitting there going, ah, I went on that course, but I still need help to understand how it applies in my environment, you haven't really changed your behavior. Mm. So I think it's, it's the magic of our customized courses that we offer, um, that we offer big companies it says not only will we teach you finance and accounting, but we'll show you how it applies in your environment with the type of stuff your people see on a daily basis. No, that's a really interesting point because there's something called the GI Joe fallacy that knowledge is, is half the battle, but actually knowledge is not half the battle. Applying that knowledge is what helps you to win the battle. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree yeah. more. If you've learned something, but you don't have the skills to apply it, it's like, but also it's it's that bringing it home to what's relevant in your organization because also you know some companies might not use income statement they might use different terminology so it's, sure. it's matching to exactly what is being said in the exactly company. exactly and, and like yeah you can go even deeper some companies their focus might be you know you, in the generic course we might be talking a lot about net profits but the, the the company itself focuses on EBITDA. They don't yeah. mention net profit. Yeah. So unless we're actually hearing from the company and customizing something specifically for that company, there can't be that real behavioral change, the real shift that companies want to happen. And sometimes we even customize per department. So have a separate customization for the operations managers and another customization for the sales team another etc etc based on the relevant financial data that that team sees wow that's really really so, cool brilliant so. i'm a big fan <laughs> <laughs> and if i were working in a company i would definitely have people going through this um but how does somebody connect with you mark so i give you my email address or the email and, and maybe you can put it in the link too but i'll just you know, say it so people have it it's mark m-a-r-k at accounting made easy three words right dot co dot co okay, okay yeah. co. mark at accounting made easy dot co you can go to my website www dot accounting made easy dot co 
Um, and yeah, you'll. Um, and LinkedIn as well. You're, you're, LinkedIn. I mean, you even sing on LinkedIn. I did. I, I did post a singing video on LinkedIn. <laughs> I think you liked that one, Susan. Oh, I definitely did, Mark. Uh, <laughs> Well, on LinkedIn, please connect with me. Mark spelt Mark with a K, and then some of it's S A M O W I T Z. And please connect with me on LinkedIn too. And I'm happy to, to have a discussion with, with anyone that's interested as our business has kind of is growing and is scaling and, and more companies getting interested in it. I'm, I'm having so many conversations with with people who want to be resellers of ours and people want to be trainers of ours and training companies in different countries, aside from people who just want to put their staff on. So really anything you'd like to engage about and, and, and reach out about, I'm happy to chat about. Brilliant. Yeah. Now that was, that was entertaining, but also yeah. informative. Thank so you. Thank, thank you, you so much, Mark, for joining us Pleasure. today. Thank you, Susan. Oh, well, I wish you the very, very best going forward, Mark. And I hope 2021 so knocks it out of the park. I hope so too. And just best of luck to you. And really only blessings and good things for, for an amazing 2021 because uh, God knows we all need it. <laughs> After the do. kind of 2020 we've had. And uh, yeah, only good things. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Always great to talk to you. And you, Mark. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers.